Let us pray together. Now, Father, thank you for the amazing way you love us and for the work that you have done for us to demonstrate that love. God, it's just amazing that you would love sinners like us enough that you'd send your own son to come and and rescue us to give us life. That you'd send the Holy Spirit to come and to open our eyes to see who your son really is so that we could know him as as Lord and Savior and find life and meaning in him. So Father, because we're here in your name and because you love us, would you again send the Spirit of Jesus to be with us and again open our eyes to see the beauty of who you are, to see the reality of what you've done, to enjoy the life that could be ours in the Son. In Christ Jesus. We pray all this in Christ's powerful name. Amen. Well, good morning, Orangewood. Uh, this is a uh, special weekend. It's a uh, uh, Veterans Day weekend where we are reminded of the fact that we live in a country that's free. Uh, we live in a country that we could do this and gather and worship. And uh, we're about ready to dismiss our young people for O Kids Worship. But as they're being dismissed for O Kids Worship, and we can turn our Bibles to Philippians 3, let me ask all the veterans, those who have served our country, I know there's some World War II heroes here, or, or Korea, or Vietnam, or, or Iraq, or any of the uh, servicemen or women, can you stand so we can say, Yahoo, thank you for giving us freedom. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Uh, awesome. And if you didn't get your cue, young people, that was your cue to head that way to O Kids Worship. And if uh, you're visiting with us and you want to see what's about that light where all the kids are disappearing to, have a great time. You all can uh, join them if you like. You know, as they're leaving, I want to tell you something not in my notes, but... Uh, Something that was we honor our veterans. And by the way, Buddy Hudson would like to do a prayer service afterwards or a prayer in our fellowship hall for any veterans. So if you'd like to join Buddy, want to raise your hand, Buddy, uh, you could go and pray with him, another veteran. We would love that. I'm just reminded this week that this is a different America that I grew up in. Um, They often say you never step in the same river twice. Maybe we never wake up in the same America, but... Uh, I want you to know, I, I was just reminded of uh, changes in morality, uh, changes that legislated changes of the way I thought we thought and think, um, things that have become legal that uh, I never thought would be legal or, or whatever. Um, but I want you to re- remind you what I said to you last week, God is faithful forever, amen, and he's on the throne, he's not up wringing his hands, and church, we have a phenomenal opportunity, right, for this, to be the church. This is what God's called us to be, and uh, he says that we're supposed to shine in a dark world, a dark generation. I think that that's where we are, and uh, so let us lean into the sun, embrace who we are in Christ, stand boldly for Jesus, and uh, say, God, thanks for this opportunity. Um, Not what I thought we'd have, to be honest with you. Can hardly believe it. But man, you have the privilege of living for the sun in this. This is, this is awesome. So church, let's be the church for the glory of God and shine brightly for him. Amen? Okay. 
Hey, uh, when you're married to someone who works in a preschool and who her whole life uh, has been around education, you learn great jingles, the jingles that will set you free. Uh, jingles like uh, secret secrets, they're no fun. Secret secrets may hurt someone. Thanks for joining me. All right. Um, another one might be secret secrets, they're no fun. Secrets are for everyone. And I'm trying to think if a uh, secret's for everyone, is it really a secret? But anyway, we are actually on a journey right now as a church going through the book of Philippians, and it's a secret that we're after, a secret that we're, we're searching for that really is for, designed by God for everyone uh, in a way that will hurt no one, uh, a secret that gives life and life abundantly. And the secret is this, the secret is finding joy in life, or I'm calling it joy in the journey. Uh, it's the secret of, of finding joy in any and every circumstance, no matter where you find ourselves. You know, Paul found that, that, that joy, that joy in the journey in his life, the joy that gave him the ability to sing in the worst of conditions, to sing in the midst of chains, in the midst of, of prison, uh, he had something of a relationship with God in Christ Jesus that, that trumped everything. Isn't that, isn't that what we long for? That our circumstances won't define our joy? That we can have a, a lasting joy that no matter what happens? And he talks about a secret of contentment. He says, I, I've learned the contentment of having a lot. And again, I don't know about you, but sometimes that's really hard. I mean, we're Americans. <laughs> it seems like our uh, we, we want everything. It seems like we have a, just an amazing ability to consume. And so Paul says, hey, I, I've learned the secret of being content with a lot, but he's also learned the content with having nothing. So we're on this journey together, and we're looking for this secret that he says it is a secret. Um, and we're trying to figure out what that is, because, you know, you long for it, and I long for it. We all want this joy. We all want this secret. And as we've been diving into this thing, it's pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing what we found so far. We found that, you ready for this? Joy is not found. Joy is not found in living for yourself. According to the Bible, joy is not found in looking out for number one. Uh, joy is found in living for Christ. Uh, we found this that Paul says, for me to live, the purpose of my life, the banner of my life is Christ. And as a matter of fact, death is gain, death to myself. So we realize, wow, joy's not found in living for yourself. And then last week, we saw that joy wasn't found in pursuing your own personal interest or your own personal glory. Think about that for a minute. Joy is not found in your own personal interest or personal glory. Uh, joy is found in what we are calling a gospel humility. Because our personal interest in glory, that's selfish ambition. That's empty glory. That in the gospel, we have the ability to have something called gospel humility, uh, to consider others' needs better than our own. Is this amazing, radical stuff? I mean, God's saying, you want joy? Think of others. Think of gospel humility. And what the gospel says is this. Don't think too highly of yourself. We all, we all kind of get that. We know that pride is the beginning of destruction. But the gospel's got so much more robustness in it. It says, don't think too lowly of yourself. It's not good enough that you don't think, well, gee, I'm great. But the gospel and God doesn't want you to think, oh, gee, I stink. 
God just wants you to think less of yourself. Um, not, think of yourself less, excuse me. Think of yourself less. Thank you for not, nodding. That's not it. Think of yourself less. Think of God and others more. That, that joy is found wrapped around an attitude or having a mindset of Christ Jesus. And in Christ Jesus, we see that this is amazing. According to the gospel, the way up is the way down. And if, and if we want to be lifted up and find joy, it's to empty ourselves like Jesus did and, and be humble and, and serve others. What an amazing thing. All right, here we go to this week. You ready for this? Another surprise. Not only is it not living for yourself, joy is not found there. Not only is it not serving yourself as ambitions. You ready for this? Joy is not found in religion. Joy is not found in religion and seeking your own righteousness, trying to establish your own righteousness. But joy is found by God's grace in relationship, not religion, relationship, and found in God's righteousness in Christ Jesus. As a matter of fact, according to the Bible, everything religious is garbage, is rubbish if it gets in the way of the gospel. Did you just hear what your pastor said? Everything religious is garbage. It's, it's absolute junk. If it gets in the way, and it often does, of a relationship with God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul is going to tell us about his resume. I tell you, this Paul, very religious dude, um, amazing education, uh, professional religious occupation. Everybody who knew him knew he was a smart religious person is going to say, my resume, all the things that the world would say, that's a religious, righteous person. He's going to say, well, let me tell you about my resume. It's dung. It's really a pile of dung compared to uh, knowing Christ Jesus and finding by God's grace a faith in Christ and a righteousness that produces true joy. Listen, the world thinks we're religious because we're here. The world thinks that we're trying to maybe find joy in religion. So we got to really ask God to open up our eyes to what does this mean that the joy we long for isn't found in religion, but it's found in relationship. So let's turn to God's word, uh, Philippians 3. Please read along with me. Um, It's uh, written a long time ago, but God breathed uh, his spirit upon Paul. And because of that, it's for each and every one of you, no matter who you are, uh, no matter what your week's been like, uh, no matter what your relationship with God has been or is right now, uh, you're here for a reason. And God has you here by design. And he wants you to hear what he has to say to you through his living word. So let's humble ourselves before that. You can see it in your bulletin. It'll be on the screen as well. But let's read God's word together. Paul writes, Whatever happens, or finally, But whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It shouldn't be based on your circumstances. I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. He says, watch out for those dogs. Hmm. Those people who do evil, those mutilators, or maybe your translation says mutilators of the flesh, who say you must be circumcised to be saved. And let me just tell you what's happening here. The gospel is taking root and people are getting excited, both Jew and Gentile, that they can have a relationship with God by God's grace through faith alone, that all they have to do is come to Jesus Christ and say, I'm a sinner. 
And you're a savior. I'm going to trust and rest on you. And those dogs are the religious people. They came up and said, well, you're not really saved unless you get circumcised or baptized or confirmed or spun around or sprinkled water on or do this kind of religious stuff. Then you're in. Paul calls them dogs for getting in the way of the gospel. Wow. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. It's not something external. And God's talking about a circumcision of the heart. Listen to what it says this. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort, though I could have had confidence in my own effort if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more, Paul says. And he gives us his religious resume. I was circumcised when I was eight days old, just like the law said. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew, if there was ever one. I was a member of the Pharisees. That's the highest order of religious uh, leaders in that day who demanded, uh, who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I uh, harshly persecuted the church, us. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought that these things were valuable. But now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ, become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right. Listen to this. Amazing. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I'll experience the resurrection of the dead. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. Let us pray. Oh, Father God, what an amazingly rich text is before us. And how confusing this could be when a religious man says his religion that he had is garbage compared to knowing Christ. That his righteousness is like filthy dung compared to Christ's righteousness. So God, we ask that you would come and, and make sense of this text. Not just make sense of this text so that we understand it with our minds, but that we can embrace it with our hearts. God, come and be with us in such a way that the truth and the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ would change the way we live, the way we think, the way we walk. For the glory of Christ, we pray. Amen.
If you want to follow along in the bulletin, you'll see an outline there. And the first thing is this, is the joy of religion, excuse me, the joy of relationship over religion. The joy that we long for is going to be found in relationship over religion. The joy is never found, that long time joy we long for is not found in any formal religion. Not ours, not any that the world has to offer. Joy is found in a living relationship with a true and living God. A guy named Saul, who wrote this, who would become Paul, uh, experienced that firsthand. The book of Acts will tell us how the early church came to be, and it tells us how it expanded the good news of the gospel. And three times in the book of Acts, it will tell us about Paul's conversion experience, how this religious man entered into a relationship with Jesus. It was amazing. He was, uh, he was on his way to a place called Damascus, and uh, he had some authority given to him to go and look for us, to go and look for the church. Go and look for those people who were crazy enough to think Jesus was Messiah, Jesus was Lord, Jesus was God. When you find them, round them up, persecute them, put them in jail, and kill them if you must. That's what Paul's religion taught him. Jihad, go kill Christians. On his way to uh, Damascus, he met Jesus. And the point of the story with Jesus, he's, he's resurrected Savior. I mean, this isn't during his earthly ministry. Jesus has already died on the cross. He's already been raised to heaven. And now he appears before Paul, at the time known as Saul, when he was riding in Damascus on his donkey or whatever he was riding on. I mean, it, it just knocked him flat. It blinded him. I mean, blinded him and coming in contact with Jesus, he cries out and he says, Lord, who are you? And the Lord says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you? He says, I'm Jesus. I'm the one you're, you're persecuting. And, and at that very moment, a change happened to Paul that should happen to all of us that what he had known as religion changed into a living relationship with Jesus Christ. And everything else changed. As a matter of fact, everything else that he was doing for God or he could build his resume, because that stuff's all junk compared to knowing God. You know, if God is God, and he is, God has every right to establish the way that we relate to him. Does that make sense? What I'm trying to say is this. If God is God, and he is, he tells us how we can enter into a relationship with him. He tells us how we are to become right in his eyes. We can't invent that way. Now, you see, some of us try to think, well, God's a good, nice, merciful God, and, and he'll appreciate my good effort, and I'm going to try to make my own way to heaven. It just doesn't work. I remember getting a phone call from a, a parent recently. Uh, it was an interesting uh, call. I uh, coached their son um, in Little League. Uh, they don't believe in God. Very anti uh, a religion or relationship, I should say, with God. And their son had, had gone to a young life uh, outing and had gone to church and now was uh, trying to uh, understand what the good news of Jesus Christ was done for him. He has changed. He's been excited about God and his parents are freaking out. <laughs> and she said, I don't know what to do. And you know what I love? She's calling me. 
she thinks I'm like moderate, you know? She thinks like I'm not Jesus freak. He's calling me. I'm like trying to be like, well, you know, uh, we don't believe that you're saved by a religion. We believe you're saved by a relationship with Jesus Christ. And here's what she said. I don't care what he believes in as long as he's sincere. He can believe, he can become a Jehovah Witness or whatever he wants to do, as long as he's sincere. I'm like, really? You see, God being God isn't seeing and looking up and saying, oh, who's sincere down there? You're sincere, I got that. You, oh, you're really sincere, I got you. Oh, you're trying hard. No, no, listen, God says, I'm the only way that's gonna be able to establish a relationship with me. If you wanna have a relationship with me, you gotta follow my rules. And when Jesus comes, he says, now listen, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. There is no other way to the Father. There's nothing else that works, no matter how sincere you are. The only way you ever get right with a holy God is through a holy Son. And God's the one who establishes the way we are right through him. If you're reading along in Scripture with the church in this week's Bible reading, Jesus says this in John 14. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. See, it's by God's grace through faith that we are right with God, never through works of religion. Did you hear that? The only way we are right with God is the way God has established us to be right with God. And the only way we're right with God is through God's Holy Son. Let's unpack that for a minute. You see, religion stresses what we do for God. Religion will always stress what you and I do for God. But I gotta ask you a really haunting question. Could it ever be enough? Religion stresses what we do for God to try to earn his pleasure. Could it ever be enough? Relationship stresses what God has done for us, and that produces true joy. Let's look at the second thing. The joy of what God has done for us versus what we do for God. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the word gospel means, you ready for this, good news. The gospel of Jesus Christ is good news because, you ready? It's good news of what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. The gospel is not good news of now what we do for God to get right with him. And I gotta tell you, it might have been pretty good news if God said to us, hey, by the way, you're filthy sinners. Here's how you clean up. Here's what you gotta do. Here's the hoops you gotta jump through. And, 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 you know, here's the bar that you gotta reach to be right with me. Is that good news? I'd be worn out. Every day you wake up and think, am I good enough? Did I jump high enough? Did I give enough? Did I love enough? Did I do enough? But the amazing, listen, you got to lean into this. The amazing good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is not what we do for God, but it's what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. If joy was to be found in what we do for God, it will never be enough. Why? God is holy. You know that, right? What does that mean? God is separate. God is without sin. And what does God demand? God demands perfection. He has to. Listen, for God to maintain his perfect attributes as God, he must maintain perfection. And it's the only thing he can accept is perfection. A lot of times we think, well, God's merciful, and he is more than we can ever imagine. 
And God is forgiving, and oh, is he really? But sometimes we confuse the fact that God is also holy and just. What does that mean? It means this. There is not one sin in your life, past, present, or future. There's not one thing that's wrong and broken about you that God can just say, "Mm, no big deal. There's not one hall pass that he could give you for anything that you've done. Not one. Listen, he can't. God couldn't stay just and righteous and just say, it's not a big deal. But the world thinks that somehow God is merciful and loving and just, or not merciful and loving, he'll just wink at sin. No, he can't. There has to be a sacrifice for sin. That's where Jesus has come in. How can we find joy of doing things for God if it could never be enough? If God is holy and just. What, listen, what joy would there be in religion? That whatever you did today, you wake up tomorrow trying to do it all over again to reach the bar. Back when I was in sales, we had a phrase called hero to zero. It meant every new month, the odometer went back to zero and you started over again. And it doesn't matter what you did last month. You run like crazy this month. And if you don't do it, you got to run a little harder next month. Do you think that's about God and religion? I'm going to tell you, if you think that's about religion, that's what you're going to do. You're going to run awfully fast and try to jump awfully hard. And one of these days, you're going to kill yourself or kill somebody else. Because God's holy, you could never do enough. There's no rest in that. There's no joy in that. Listen, there's no rest in religion. There's no joy in religion. There's no hope. If you're trying to prove yourself to God on your own, your own righteousness is a terrible taskmaster. You hear what I said? Your own righteousness is a terrible taskmaster. It always demands more. I love mowing the lawn. I love mowing the lawn or a job that at the end of it, you can say it's done. It has a starting point. It has an ending point. And when it ends, you get in the hammock and say, woohoo, look at that. Mow the lawn. Check one off the list. I don't know about you, but for me as a pastor, my job's never done. I never have left this place one time thinking, well, I have touched base with every sheep I needed to. I have dotted every I. I have crossed every T. I prepared my sermon. Every time I leave here, there's always a whisper that you should have done just a little bit more. And I'm under the belief that I'm just not the only one here. I think we live in a world that's demanding more than time we could give, things that we could do. Isn't it such good to know that that's not about our religion with God? Our relationship with God is complete in Christ Jesus. And listen, since joy can't be found in what we do for God because it'll never be enough, we can never rest. That's why Paul says, look at my religious stuff. His religious resume was amazing. He put his religious resume up and he says, now let me tell you about this. It's garbage. It's dumb. It's worthless. Why? Because I can't find joy here. I can't find peace here. I can't find relationship here. I can't find forgiveness here. And you know, the, what really makes it scary is sometimes we think we can. That's the scary thing about religion, is we think we could be right God through, with God what we do. But let me remind you, if you're trying to be right with God on your own merits, the Bible says that our righteousness, that man's righteousness in God's holy eyes, ready for this, is filthy rags. How in the world are we going to try to get right and please God and throw some filthy rags his way? Say, accept me, love me, look at me, I got filthy rags. It's crazy. 
But the righteousness of God that he gives us by his grace through a relationship with his son is pure and holy. Scripture says that if we come to Christ Jesus, that we receive by God's grace through faith in Christ his righteousness. Get out. We get the righteousness of God by God's grace through faith. We're robed in his righteousness. Listen, it's more than the righteousness of man. It's the righteousness of God. Wow. Incredible. You know, our our righteousness is like stinky, smelly fish. You ever smelled a dead fish? Growing up uh, in upstate New York on that little cottage in the summertime, we could tell when a dead fish hit the beach. You walk outside and say, oh, man, where is it? That sucker smells. I mean, you know what it is. You know what dead fish smell like. And you smell that, you know, you don't sit there and think, I wonder what that is. You're like, there's a dead fish. We got to find that. And what we got to do, we got to bury it. We got to bury it and get it. And when, when, by the way, when do dead fish smell the worst? In the sun. When the sun hits it, man, bury that thing. Get it out of there. Here's the whole point. Our righteousness, apart from Christ, in God's eyes, is like a stinky, dead fish that needs to be buried. And in the light of the sun, and it just smells. But God says, I got something so much more for you. I'm going to give you the righteousness of Christ. Isn't it amazing what God has done for us? The question that now asks, we have to ask is this. Okay. My righteousness is not enough. Listen, we got to ask this. You should be asking this. Come on, congregation. Ask the question. Is what God has done for us enough? If what we can do for God is not enough, is what God has done enough for us to secure the joy that we all long for? Was it good enough? Was Jesus good enough? And how do we know that, that what God has done for us is enough? And let's go to the next point. The joy of the resurrection. How crazy sounding is that? You want joy, find it in resurrection. What? The joy of resurrection. Look at verses 10 and 11. Paul says some pretty bizarre things. I mean, on the surface, you would think, is this man sane? He says in verses 10 and 11, Paul says that he wanted to, ready for this, share in Christ's death. And he also says he wants to experience the resurrection. What joy is found out in sharing in someone's death? What joy is found out in experiencing the resurrection? What does he mean? We see, sharing in Christ's death, lean into this. Sharing in Christ's death, Paul is saying that Christ has died for his sins. Here's what Paul's saying. He's saying this. He says, the stinky fish of my dead life hung on the cross. And amazingly, Jesus hung there and he died for my sins. And he, he reeked to the Father like a dead fish so that I could have the righteousness of Christ and just have the joy of being found in Christ's death. Romans 6 says that in his death, uh, we are united if we are his. But there's more than that. Experiencing the resurrection of the, of the dead means, listen, means that God the Father has accepted the son's sacrifice for our sins. The resurrection means that God the Father accepted what Jesus did on our behalf, that it was enough. Let me tell you an illustration of that. Someone owes you $10,000. I hope it's not me. 
Someone owes you $10,000 and they come into you today, they come here today and they say, I want to give you a check for the $10,000 I owe you. Now, what's the first question you have? Just check good. I mean, I could write you a check right now for whatever you want. Good luck cashing it, right? So how do we know if that's a good payment made for a debt that was owed? Well, the funds have to be transferred from one account, emptied out of one, and they have to be placed in another, right? You're banking. You're hanging with me, aren't you? Let me tell you something about this resurrection. The father sees the son's sacrifice hanging on that cross for the dead fish stank of our lives. And he says, I accept it. How do we know I accept it? Listen, listen, listen. He removes the funds. And that tomb is empty. And the debt is really paid. And death is truly destroyed. And life really reigns. I mean, that's what the resurrection means. I mean, it means it's a resounding victory. I mean, that resurrection is God's exclamation point. Listen, it's God's exclamation point saying, the work my son has done for you was enough. It was sufficient. It was accepted. And now we can find true and lasting joy in Christ Jesus. The check has cleared. What God has done for us is enough. Do you know that? Now we have a joy that's enduring and a joy that will provide us rest. I tell you, you, I could preach this stuff, but living it's hard. Because how many days do I wake up thinking, I got to run faster today. I got to jump higher today. I got to prove myself. I got to earn it today. I got to live like I know it and earn it. And Jesus in the Gospels whispering, it's already done. Are you crazy? Are you going to try to go back and try to earn it now that it's all been done? Are you going to try to go find? What are you going to try to find? Let me ask you this question. Those of us who wake up tomorrow and try to run a little harder and jump a little higher and live a little holier to please God, can I ask you, what did Jesus do that wasn't enough? What are we trying to fill? And, and, and that's what Satan wants to whisper in your ears. He wants to say, you're not doing enough. You haven't done enough. But you got to turn to him and say, I haven't done enough. You're right. But Jesus did. And I can find joy in resting in him in the resurrection, knowing that it was enough. Listen, what this means is this, is that joy is fully secured because of the resurrection. But it's not fully realized. Did you hear what I just said? Joy is fully secured, but it's not yet fully realized. There's more to come. That leads us to the last point. The joy of living in the now, but not yet. What does that mean? Interesting. I love verses 12 through 14. Paul is just telling us all this great stuff. And then he gets to 12 and 14. He says, but let me tell you something. Not that I've achieved these things. (laughs) I love that. Not that I've reached perfection. But what does he say? He says in this two words you got to get for application. Press on. Press on to that perfection which Christ first possessed me. Press on because joy is secured. Did you hear what he just said? Listen. Press on to that perfection which Christ, listen, listen, this is good stuff, which Christ has first possessed me. What's blown me away about this study is that God is in everything he asks us to do. 
And it's all about a God who remains faithful. Listen, Jesus who first possessed me is my hope for this. Let's go back to Philippians 1.6. It says this, He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. What does that mean? It means this. God's the one who initiates with you. If you love and know God, it's because he initiates with you. And ultimately, it's God's hand who will never let you go. My brothers and sisters, we live now in begun work. We are not living in finished work. We are not living in a finalized work. It's a begun work. But here's the good news. It was begun by God. He initiated it. He first possessed me. And here's better news. He finishes what he starts. I leave empty projects all over the place. He doesn't leave one. He doesn't leave one sheep behind. Listen, this is what it's saying. There's a relationship we can have with God through Christ Jesus that he'll never get to the point where he looks at our religion and says, I'm done with relationship. I'm done. I've tried hard. My son hung on that cross. He became that stinky fish. I've done all these things. And look at that knucklehead still doing what he's doing. I'm done. Press on because God who began the good work is faithful. Press on to the prize for perfection that's coming because Christ first possessed you. What an amazing good news that is. Not only that, we have to forget what's past. Joyful that your past is covered and secure. How many of you are living your life looking in the rearview mirror of the carnage behind you of bad decisions and sinful behavior or broken relationships or just bad providence? How many of you spend your life looking in the rearview mirror of all that's back there and just lamenting? Listen, there's plenty to lament, right? There's plenty of things we've messed up. But here's what God says. It's all been covered. It's all been paid. I don't want you to live your life staring through the rearview mirror. Quit it. And if, if it's, all, it's all you're doing, is all you're looking back and saying, well, I didn't do this and I failed here and look at this thing, it's broken. Really, all you're focusing on is you. And Jesus is saying, focus on me. Focus on me and the reality, I've paid it. It's done, it's finished, it's complete, it's past. And now how do we live? Look forward to what lies ahead. Look forward to what lies ahead. The prize of heaven, the prize of seeing Jesus. If you are his, and today might be your first day, or you've been journeying him for all your life, here's the reality. If you are his, you are going to see him. You are going to be fully righteous. You have eternal life. The prize he secured, you're going to taste it. You're going to have it. Promise. So press on. Press on knowing that you will obtain it. And when we see him, we will be like him. What an amazing prize. And I love the fact it says this, and it's God who's calling you. It's God who's got a hand on you. It's God who's begun the good work in you. It's God who will never let you go. It's God, who, it's Philippians 2.13, we looked at last week, who wills and works in you according to his good pleasure. God's right there. Relationship, not religion. Joy that's lasting. He secured joy for us. But it's not fully here yet. So sometimes we might have to sing in the midst of chains of life. But we sing because we know that Jesus is with us and never let us go. I had, a, had someone tell Katie last week, said, in the middle of Jeff's sermon, I want to just raise my hand and say, well, wait a minute. I, I, I get it, but my life is so broken right now. I'm just so hurting. What do I do? Let me just say, if that's you, 
In Christ Jesus, I want you to know you will never be alone. You will never be forsaken. And maybe right now the storms of your life are amazingly difficult and throwing you all around. You are not alone. If you are Christ, he is in there with you. And sometimes he's gonna let you ride to the storms, but never alone. And sometimes he'll stand up and say, be still. But have joy. Joy that your past is forgiven. Joy that your present has an Emmanuel God with you. And joy that your future is secured and we will see him and be like him one day. Amen. That's what we do now. We just continue to press on and love with joy and run to Jesus. How is it with you? Oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he will never let us go. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for the amazing love that you have for us. You're not a God about religion. You're a God about relationship. Relationship is so important to you, Father. Relationship is so important for you that you would give everything for us to have one with you. You would give your own son, Jesus. God, the amazing good news is everything that you've done for us, not what we do for you. And Father, we thank you that we could find joy and rest and security in the completed, finished work of Christ on that cross. And yet to even realize now we still live in what feels like begun work. But there's more to come. Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit would come and touch each one of our hearts. Encourage those who are just so struggling right now. God, give them joy of what Christ has done. For the one who may not know you, God, may today be the day when they give up religion and they embrace relationship by your grace and faith in Christ Jesus. And for all of us, God, may we wake up tomorrow and know the joy that we are yours and that we're gonna make it home. And when we mess up and fall and we stumble and we make a mess of it all, thanks for continuing to love us and picking us back up and putting us on that homeward journey. What a great God you are. And God, may our lives tell your story. In Christ's name, amen.